Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I'm okay, good. How are you? Limping through your eighth month. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Limping through is a good way to describe it. <laughs> And then, and then my cleaner comes and she's like, listen, you've seen nothing yet. I was like, wow, that's encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) Comparing battle scars post-labor. She's literally like, this is the beginning. Wow. And you have seen nothing yet. And she's like, wait till you can't sleep, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, okay, great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this little chat. (laughs) I was was like walking away from her. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, it's probably a relief that the uh, temperature has dropped a little bit, no? Because it must have been way more uncomfortable when it was super hot in London. It didn't really affect me that much. I just didn't go outside. Right. Yeah. Fair Um, enough. But yeah, I'm happy that the weather is what it is right now. So the final stretch, here we go. Here we go. Also, like, incidentally, this is my favourite time of year. I love it when it gets autumnal. I love it when it starts to get a bit, like, crisp, when you can start getting the jumpers out, like... You say that every episode. Everyone knows you love autumn. Every, every episode, babe. Listen, I've started like thinking about Christmas. <laughs> yeah. My husband and I are planning out what the the menu is going to look like for <laughs> Christmas Day. I'm I'm ready. I'm committed to it. And because after Christmas, I feel like it's so bleak. So it those is. little things keep you going. But look, there's a lot of things that we wanted to talk about today, and I think that probably most importantly is for us to. Include a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode that we are going to be talking about the Sarah Everard case. We're also going to be talking about Sabina Nessa. We're going to be talking about Gabby Petito as well. And so for those of you who aren't aware, these are basically stories that are centering around domestic violence, sexual assault and murder of women. So if you can't join us for this episode, totally understand. But just wanted to make sure that you were aware of that before we, we dive in. I guess as good a place as any to kind of start with it is obviously Sarah Everard's murder, and I'm going to really do my best not to say his name for this episode, was sentenced last week and was sentenced to full life in prison. And I think that I personally, we we spoke about Sarah Everard and her case, for want of a better word, when it first happened about seven months ago now. And I think that for that to happen at the same time that the murder of Sabina Nessa took place while the Gabby Petito case is going on in the US. I think that it was just one of those things where it very much so felt like several gut punches in a row. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I think has made the Sarah Everard case more traumatising is that during the trial, the details of what happened to her came out. So we all knew, like, this is awful, but hearing the details and seeing the footage that's been released has just blown my mind, and I think it's blown so many people's minds. And then the response from the Metropolitan Police has just been so underwhelming. Underwhelming is a polite way to say it. And so that's the challenge we have. We're like, wow, this really terrible thing has happened this young woman has lost her life and it seems that no one cares and I think as well and no I'm one just... with power like no one with power 
has taken any real accountability for this? Well, the thing is as well, a couple of things, right? Just as a quick recap for any of our international listeners who maybe don't know the, the full extent, basically what came out during the sentencing is that Sarah Everard's murderer, you know, was a, a metropolitan police officer at the time, and he actually used COVID restriction legislation or permissions to arrest her because she had been at a friend's house for dinner. And at that time in the UK, we had, I think, curfews. So she shouldn't have been out or, you know, he had some reason that it was legitimate. Yes, but apparently it wasn't legitimate. Like even the reasons he gave were not legitimate. But because it was such a confusing time, like the rules were changing every single day. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that, you know, she could have been confused by this and seen the fact that he had his police belt on and thought that it was legitimate and that he showed her his badge yeah like he had his he had everything that you know he was it makes me feel sick to say it that he was supposed to have Mm -hmm. and I think that what's been so frustrating and so genuinely traumatic is that the response is things like well she just shouldn't have gotten in the car you know like completely inane statements like that and I have been unable to stop talking about this to my husband and I just keep saying I would have gotten in the car I would not have hesitated to get in the car I would have been upset and I would have been apologizing but on some level of my brain I would have been thinking we will get this cleared up in no time fine I'll hop in the car we'll pop down the station I'm gonna give my husband a call because the thing is she was chosen at random, right? Like she wasn't someone that he had been following, that he had been marked. And I think that this is sometimes what I struggle to articulate when you are talking to men about this is that it doesn't matter sometimes how on your guard you are, whether you're sober, whether you're drunk, whether you've got pepper spray or you're holding your keys between your hands. Like sometimes the attack is so randomized How can we expect to be on our guard 24-7? And for you to suggest that as advice, it lets me know that you you don't understand what fear like that must feel like. And that's what bothers me the most. My sense is that despite the horrific nature of this case, despite the fact that it exposed so many flaws in the Metropolitan Police, not just that this man was walking around and could be so brazen that he would pick a victim at random and do everything that he's done. But when you look at the data, you know, I was looking at the data and over 50% of men in the Metropolitan Police that have been accused of some kind of violence against women have still been able to keep their jobs and stay on, which shows you that this is acceptable. And even the, the police officer that murdered Sarah Everard there were many things that he'd done in the past, like indecent exposure, etc. And it's escalated to what's happened with Sarah Everard. But it was very clear that this is not the kind of person that she was protecting and serving any community. There are so many things that you've said there, like, that are so correct. And I just wanted to say, that, you know, on the indecent exposure, mm. I just, I can't, I can't get it. My, I can't get my head around it. I can't get my head around how that could happen that could be brought to the police. Imagine if me, in my life, in financial data, was arrested for public or indecent exposure, I would lose my job. So the idea that I am, as you said, expected to protect and serve, 
that that is my job as a police officer mm. and that that could be something that's brought against me and nothing is done about that. What? what it's crazy. Mean? It's absolutely crazy. And I remember at the beginning of the lockdown, I was just like walking down like the main road. I think I'd finished a jog or I was like wrapping up a jog or something. And this man like starts following me and indecently exposes himself. Wow. And I ran into the gales yeah. and then one of the guys working gales like went outside to like make sure everything was okay and imagine if like, I don't know who the person was and he was gone at the time but imagine if that person was then a police officer right you know it, it, so it's it's because when you've when you've gone through that and what's crazy is that so many things happen to women that I didn't even put that down as like oh this major thing mm-hmm. happened to me for it's sure. like, oh, here we go again. And it is like a trauma that I think then maybe becomes compounded when something like a public case like this happens because you are forced, excuse me, to be like, oh, I've been in a situation like that. Like mm. something similar has happened, or I've seen men, or I've known men like that. And, you know, when you're talking about with Sarah Everard's murderer, that he had, you know, there were warning flags or red flags all over the place he was in a whatsapp chat with i believe four to five other police officers which was full of racist misogynistic transphobic chat sharing of disturbing images he was known as the rapist colloquially in his job before his most recent position with the Met. Really? I didn't even know that. And that's what I can't get and my that's head that's why I say when you look at, you know, they've obviously released a lot of footage around the day and how the crime went down. This is not the first time that he has done something like this. Mm-hmm. That's my view on it because it was, it was planned. It was done in such a level-headed way. He was just casually going about his day and his routine, calling up the vet to go and book his dog in. For you to do a crime that's that extensive, yeah, I'm not convinced that was the first time that he's done something like that. I would have to say I, I would probably agree with you, and but I think what troubles me is that I mean, if people are calling you the rapist casually, if people are calling you the rapist, I don't understand this. Like, this is the kind of culture that we live in, where women are so fundamentally mistrusted that it's like I am calling you the rapist. And nobody else thinks that that's a massive red flag. Nobody else is potentially perturbed or disturbed. Like, what use is the referee system when you apply for a new job? Like, oh, yes, so-and-so did work here between, you know, and and you know what, I'm so sorry, I'm going on a tangent because I know that that isn't the point, but the point does also reside within the idea that women can be telling you explicitly or implicitly overtly or covertly this does not seem right and yet we are so reluctant to listen to women or yeah you just don't care or you don't care yeah Yeah. which of those two things because if I had to find out my husband was in a group chat with someone who then murdered someone and then you know I say oh you know what was he like it's like oh yeah well some people did call him the rapist actually like these are what our text because those text messages were then or those whatsapp messages were then read out in court okay so those other officers are now supposedly under investigation what investigation if we've got the whatsapp messages 
Right. We've had them for nearly a year. What's the investigation what's, now? What's the, I, I don't understand why things like that are seen as like small fry. They're minor scale instances or, or offences. It's like, well, listen, we can't really, we don't want to restrict anyone's free speech. I'm not trying to restrict your free speech, but I am telling you that if that is what you constitute as free speech, mm. there's something not quite right there, I'm afraid. Yeah, but I think it just is a big stain on on the Met Police because um, 100%. you've got people at uni in like WhatsApp groups talking crazy and then when it's leaked, they're getting kicked out of university. <laughs> so you can't hold a student to a higher account than you're holding a, a full-blown adult police officer. So it's all about the institution. Also, one of the things that, again, like, and it's not funny, but it just feel like it bears noting because it's almost like we've forgotten this. Even before we knew the full extent of how awful what had happened to Sarah Everard was, mm. when we, like, quote-unquote, just knew that she had been murdered by a police officer, there was a vigil, and the Met Cressida Dick sent members of the Met down to kick people's fucking heads in because they were protesting police violence. And that's not an issue in and of itself as well. It's not an issue that their first response was to defend the police officers in, as an institution. Like, it's it's a version of Blue Lives Matter. I, yeah. can't, I can't get my head around it, and I can't get how you would not be able to separate yourself what you morally stand for from an institution that has harboured and fostered and propagated this kind of violence against ethnic minorities and women. Since then, I've been saying that Cressida Dick should resign. 100%. I've been saying it since then, and she's still not resigned, and her statement was trash. And it's like everyone's behind her. I think even Keir Starmer's behind her. Everyone's like, they support her. Oh, do you know what? But she's a godsend to the Met. For something like this to happen under the watch of a female boss, Mm -hmm. she's a godsend to the Met. They're like, thank goodness, you know, they have her and like they could hide behind her. Well, because the narrative would switch in about 30 seconds. If she stepped down, it would immediately become woman is made scapegoat for male subordinate. And it's actually like, no, it's not about that. It's about the idea that you are not interested in purging the prevalence of this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I always say I'm not about this identity politics stuff. And I Mm -hmm. think it's very important to hold people accountable, especially when they're in power irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their race. And you've got a situation here where, you know, my sense is that if it was a male boss of the Met, that he would have been pushed out. He would have been forced to resign. Um, Because she's a female, she's able to stay. And I think it's very difficult for people to see a correlation between their own behaviour, like their own silence, their own making jokes about things, their own dusting things under the carpet and something like what's happened to Sarah Everard, but it's all part of the same vicious cycle and it all props up a culture that is um, that is incredibly toxic. And so if we can't get to the point where people can see the correlation between their own attitudes and their own behaviour and the fact that women are more likely to die at the hands of their partner and all of that, you know, people can't see it then it's very difficult for us to have progress. And I also think within that, 
taking full ownership, I have been complicit within that because there have been parts of my life where I've thought, well, that just simply wouldn't happen to me. And there is maybe a maturity in realizing, as we keep saying with Sarah Everard, I would have gotten in that car. There have been nights where I have been too drunk to remember getting home or I've fallen asleep in the back of a taxi. And there is something very... that, though, I, Mm. I was reading how a bolt driver wouldn't let a passenger out of the car until she kissed him. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that was on that was on Twitter. Somebody did a post about that. And I saw something recently about a girl who, or a woman, should I say, who was in an Uber and, you know, she was moving. So she had, like, luggage in her car. So basically she was saying, I never give my full address out. But in this instance, I had to because I was carrying things. And... He asked for her number. She gave him a fake number. He then came back to the house, put a note through the door and was saying, hi, it's me, your Uber driver. Your number didn't work. Like, this is my number. She didn't respond. He then came back again while she was at work and her housemate answered the door and was like, no, like, she's not here, basically. So this woman was saying, I've contacted Uber. I've contacted the police. Uber has suspended his account. But like, that becomes something that, you can see how that gets told as a funny anecdote. Like, oh my God, the most wild thing happens to me. Actually, no, that is really frightening. That's insane. It's insane. That's really insane. Very scary. And very scary because you think of all of the ways in which that could easily be you. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there's something really stark, and this is potentially where Cressida Dick lies on, on the spectrum, where she thinks... Well, you see, that simply wouldn't happen to me. So this is why I don't think it's a concern that we need to work on eradicating, particularly within the Metropolitan Police Force. Yeah, and that's why I think there's been this really strong reaction to Sarah Everard's case, because she was young, white, middle class, everybody loved her. Mm -hmm. And people do have that sense of, oh my gosh, she didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about, you know, women who are more vulnerable, when you think about sex workers, for example, or women who are not considered to be respectable, mm-hmm. like fitting, fitting that type of mold, I feel like there is definitely less of an interest around what happens to them. And so that's another angle of the Sarah Everard case. And it's similar with the Gabby Petito case where she was young, she's white, she's beautiful. You look at her Instagram and you just think she had this really lovely life and she didn't deserve it. And so that's kind of the ugly underbelly of this all is that we know about these stories because they fit a certain mold. And even if you think about Sabina Nessa as well, who's a woman of colour, the picture that's going around of Sabina Nessa is her in her graduation gown. Mm -hmm. And so people are aware that they've got to put this picture up of respectability for people to engage because it's always like, what did you do to deserve it? And so we put this image out of everybody loves Sarah Everard. Gabby was this young, beautiful girl trying to make her way in life. Sabina's a teacher, she's in her graduation gown. Mm-hmm. The media is more likely to engage in those stories. And that is something that I find really, really sad because nobody deserves to be scared. Nobody deserves to experience any of this. But we're in a society where if you don't have that respectable image, it's like, yeah, what did you do to deserve it? Why were you out at that time? 
And I think that that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think the judge in Sarah Everard's case during sentencing mentioned, you know, how basically how heinous the crimes had been, but said, you know, that Sarah was, quote, totally undeserving of what had happened to her. And the issue with that is you think that you are doing a positive thing because you are reinforcing the innocence of the victim in this instance. But the fact is that no one deserves this. And that is you know, to expand on what you're saying, that's sometimes I think the the massive stumbling block that we have is that actually, even if you did do something wrong, even if George Floyd had used a counterfeit $20 bill, like, can you understand that murder should not be a consequence of that? People don't understand. And people don't understand. And there becomes this, like, these mental gymnastics where it's like, oh, you know, what was she wearing? Well, what was she doing out breaking curfew? Or, you know, why did she take a shortcut through a park? And I see it. And I and I see it and I think it myself. And I think, oh, Jesus, I would never go through the park at that time. But what does that matter? Because the fact is that even if you did, even if you got too drunk, the consequence of getting too drunk should be you lose your wallet and it's a pain and you've got to get your cards resent out. But like, the idea that so many men don't understand. And by women the way, too. Women, too. women too. And also what I was going to say is, and by the way, I also am not trying to be like hashtag not all men, but I also do think that trans men, black men, gay men actually do think on this spectrum. And they do think actually the worst that could happen tonight is is pretty bad. But so many people do not. So many people will never think, there but for the grace of god go i because it's so other to them and i have to say like yeah but people who just because people experience one type of mm -hmm. discrimination doesn't mean they understand another type of discrimination and so that's why it's such a complex issue because just because people experience you know like you said you've listed a a bunch of different groups who um are marginalized in their own way and could be at risk in their own way it doesn't always translate to just fully grasping how scared women are yes and that is actually what I just keep thinking about I think about I think about it particularly in the Sarah Everard case because we know that her murderer drove for was about 80 miles right outside of London crazy do you think that she just didn't fight or do you think that she couldn't fight and I think that's why I get so frustrated and so like worked up when we talk about things like this because as you said at the beginning of this podcast the onus is always on women how strong do you want me to be yeah but that's the irony of it and that's when I know that you're not interested in solving the problem totally and and that's where we are with the Sarah Everard case because you know people were talking about it last week Cressida Dick made her statement a couple of Met Police reps went on TV and said hail down a bus or call 999 if you feel a bit unsure when a police officer is approaching you. And I haven't seen them make any recommendations about their own culture. Also, as a like a kind of a piggyback there, because I always remember this story, even though it was years ago, and I actually looked it up just before this episode, this wave down a bus the twenty p rapist. I don't know if you remember this. This was way. Oh back my gosh, this is getting dark. I, know. I don't know who's that guy. So basically, this was back in twenty twelve, and I always remember it because my mum made such a a point of saying it to me. 
she was turned off the bus back when you still paid on the bus. You know, it wasn't mm. contactless when you still pay for it. She was turned away from the bus because she was 20p short of her fare for the last bus home that evening. So she had mm. to walk instead and was, you know, dragged into the park by a rapist and repeatedly sexually assaulted. And it's kind of like, oh, well, the bus driver should have left her, let her on for only 20p. And it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. He should have, but that male bus driver couldn't conceive of a universe where the worst case scenario or the best case scenario is that you get home. The worst case scenario is that you don't full stop. And somewhere in the middle, you might be sexually assaulted. We also see such grotesque representation of violence in media. And I'm not trying to be that person who's like, oh, ban video games. But I am trying to suggest that because we see things like that on TV, we think that we are in a position to understand how horrific it really is. But actually, like, what would that feel like to you if you were seeing that play out in real life? Does that affect your appetite for it at all? Because it affects mine. I feel like now I don't want to watch those things. Listen, I want to watch Chesapeake's Shores on Netflix. I want to listen or watch something completely frivolous. I want to listen to the girls from One Tree Hill recap all of the episodes in real time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the challenge here is that it's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a different conversation in terms of, like, the media and, like, what people are watching is important. But I just don't know if there's a cor- if that is the correlation no. that's leading to, you know, what's happening. And... What I think has a, it's just like how when, you know, a man's football team loses and then it's like domestic violence increases. Mm -hmm. When you've got a recession, domestic violence increases. This is what's scaring me. You know, the fact that like in the UK, we're having a lot of challenges around Mm -hmm. like Brexit. There's a lot of challenges around the pandemic. And then, you know, people go home and they take this out on their partners, as well as just like the general misogyny (laughs) <laughs> that is the air that we breathe that leaves people to dismiss and dismiss and dismiss until we hear about a Sarah Everard. Yes. And what's happened with Sarah Everard is absolutely awful, but there's, there are about a million steps before you get to that point. Yeah, you're right. You yes. are right. And to be clear, I don't mean to suggest that, you know, watching whatever it is, The Wire means that you are... The Wire? I don't know. I was going to say Line of Duty, and then I was like, that's probably too close to home, considering... <laughs> line of Duty. You guys, I know I have a television set. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, watching something that's got... a Game of Thrones, whatever, that's got violence interwoven, I don't think that that means that you are necessarily more likely to be violent. But I think it means that we desensitise what we see playing out as minor level red flags, as you say, because... But you know what impacts people more? Mm. What they see in their home when they're growing up. Yes, that no, and that's absolutely true as well. And I think that you are so right that there are a million levels before you, you know, you arrest someone under false pretenses and then rape them and murder them and then imagine them. what like, was this person's life. And but also, I do think that there is like there are also people who have terrible lives who work so hard to break those cycles of abuse. Yes. And so what I like so afraid to potentially condone here is that oh well you know he might have had a bad childhood himself and it's like you know what I know people who have had bad childhoods and I know that they've gone on to do incredible things and I know that they've worked really hard to and so do you know what I mean it's like there's always some way to cape 
for this guy. Yeah, and when I say that, it's not about caping for him at all. No, it's no. really about saying that the Sarah Everard situation is a result of decisions that people make every single day, interactions that people mm-hmm. have every single day. And it's very important to look at yourself and think, you know, what? when someone's doing something odd or saying something odd, how do I react? Do I sit there and am I silent? Well, if you are silent, you are a part of the problem. Yeah, unfortunately, you you are a complicit. And the thing is... You are complicit, you know, and that's what I'm trying to say, that it's so easy to kind of look on the outside, but it's Mm -hmm. really a moment to kind of look at yourself. We're all in it. We're all in it. And the thing is, sometimes, like, for women as well as men, like, unfortunately, sometimes you've got to be the buzzkill. You've got to say something. For men it is actually easier for you to say something for us or it's easier for you to back us up. It legitimizes us when you say, no, I agree with her. Mm. If a woman calls something out in the group. But trust me, it's very rare because I've been in WhatsApp groups where they speak in an awful way about Mm. a woman and I'll always say something and there'll be one guy out of 20 Mm -hmm that will say, oh, I agree with Jules. If you're lucky, right? Like, and that you're one lucky, in 20 like, guy is a, is a pretty great guy for having done he's that. He's a great like, guy. I'm thinking about one guy in particular who's always, like, on the right side of these issues. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them always making jokes, always dismissing, always just, personally, from my perspective, being super toxic and mm-hmm. then being patted on the back. And it's always, like... Um, yeah, just like misogynistic in general, right? And then it'll be a minority, usually my husband and this other guy <laughs> that will mm-hmm. like try and defend women. So you see, and these are young guys. Yeah. So you do get really worried because they're like quite young. And then it, you know, if that's what they think and they're going to be parents, how are they raising their kids? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the problem is that you've also got, you know, you talked about identity politics a little bit earlier on. You've also got respectability politics that play a huge, yeah. huge role in that, where men who are parents will think, well, that simply wouldn't happen to my daughter. My daughter just wouldn't be out walking at night or, you know, my daughter wouldn't get that drunk or whatever, whatever. My daughter's strong enough to not stay in an abusive relationship. You placing women on a pedestal in that way is actually also actively harmful because what you say implicitly in that statement is just so long as you're not the person that's attacked I don't care if somebody else is let Jules get too drunk as long as you don't get too drunk nothing will happen to you if something happens to Jules then maybe she shouldn't have gotten too drunk and then maybe it would have happened to whoever like and it goes on and on yeah It's absolutely a cycle. And yeah, I just think obviously we're all really highly triggered and traumatized, but it's so important that these stories do come to light because violence against women is happening every single day, like behind closed doors. Yeah. And so I do think it's important that we put the spotlight on Sarah Everard, we put the spotlight on Gabby Petito, we put the spotlight on Sabina Nessa, we honor them and their stories are told. And you know, if I think about Sabina Nessa, who apparently someone's recently been arrested for it. And the last I looked at the Gabby Petito situation, they were still looking for her boyfriend. So I just hope that, you know, they can also receive justice. Totally. And I think that also, you know, just to piggyback a little bit there on what you've said, that it's also so important to, when we are talking about this male violence, 
to acknowledge that that is also a collective issue. And sometimes I think what happens is, you know, when a murderer or an assaulter is of a particular race or creed or belief system, that it's like, oh, well, what can you expect? They're X, Y, Z. And it's like, actually, unfortunately, this attitude, the pervasiveness of this attitude is everywhere. It's rife. It doesn't matter where you're from. You have to unlearn the system in the same way that women have to unlearn the system that makes them think, oh, I just won't do X, Y, Z, or only people who are stupid would get in a car with a stranger or whatever like yeah or women just defending abusers yeah absolutely. outright okay you have that all the time I think everyone has their part to play and what people also have to realize is that you can be a good person but you can handle a situation in a way that puts other people at risk yeah and the example I have is you know when I watch the webcam footage for the um the police body cam footage for Gabby Petito. I don't know if you watched it. No, I haven't. When I watched it, I I was raging after I watched that footage because you had had someone call the police and say, I'm seeing a young woman and her boyfriend is slapping her. Something is going on. That's how they ended up stopping Gabby and her boyfriend. When they stopped the boyfriend, you could see that Gabby was kind of like blaming herself. She's like, oh my gosh, you know, we've been arguing and like, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. Basically, summary of what she was saying. But the police had been called because someone had seen the boyfriend slapping her up. Mm-hmm. And then the boyfriend is saying, oh, she's super anxious. She's this, she's that. And then the police officers could relate to what he was saying and then just went from stopping him because he had been seen slapping her to like basically dabbing him at the end and just like basically letting them go on their way. But then one of the police officers has said, oh, my wife's really anxious too. So you slap her in the face. Like, I just... It was caught on the body cam where it's like, you could see this police officer, he... I don't know him, right? But I'm not saying that he's a bad person. But this kind of attitude about women where it's like, oh, she's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's crazy. Oh, you've got a lot to deal with over there. I can relate because my wife's super anxious as well. Was so sad. And the fact that he could just end up on such good terms with them laughing and joking and they're like oh yeah my wife is hysterical too it's so what a failure what a failure and that's why i say it's really important for people to look at themselves that is for me is really the top priority here because you could be a good person with good intentions but we all have internalized misogyny 100 didn't see what was right in front of you And also, I think that that speaks to a very overt type of misogyny as well, where if you are in a heterosexual relationship, your female partner is always seen as a burden that you as a man are doing well Mm -hmm. to put up with. Yes, yes. And that's prevalent everywhere. It's the nagging wife trope. It is the old ball and chain, old girlfriend keeping tabs on me, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so... Even though we've discussed that it's literally studies have shown that women in heterosexual relationships suffer by virtue of being in heterosexual relationships because women as a whole are becoming less and less happy because even though, you know, the idea was supposed to be like, oh, what do you mean you're allowed to work now? The expectations of women in the home and as emotional and and domestic labor providers basically haven't changed at all so it's like actually we have got a worse deal and yet you are seen as being you know as you're saying 
slapped on the back and congratulated for putting up with your anxious girlfriend. Even if that were true, even if she was just anxious or a bit hysterical, where is it in the handbook that's like, Mm. oh, and that's why it was okay for me to hit her? It was so strange. I didn't see them see them even like address that specifically on the the body cam footage, but it was just when you watch that, it's just a case study of life. Yeah. Yeah, and it really, really upset me because people don't realise you look at a heinous crime, you know, Gabby Petito, she's now been murdered. But the silence and comments like that and discrediting her and not actually really doing your job to kind of try and investigate on the spot what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they related to her boyfriend in like a major way. Mm-hmm. It, it was just awful. Absolutely awful. So obviously, ultimately we've got no positive note to to finish this on. And if you were able to make it through, I really do thank you for listening because I don't imagine it was very pleasant. You know, we know our demographic, we know we've got predominantly female listeners. So I do thank you for listening if you're able to make it through. I guess the note that I would finish on, if there is a note to finish on, is just simply like we have to keep speaking up. If we want this institutional change to happen, that is going to be how it has to happen. And it's shit that that is the work that has to be put in. Mm. But I, I, I can't, I can't see another solution, basically. Yeah, it's hard. It's 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 not something that will change overnight because it's so embedded mm-hmm. um, in society. But thank you so much for listening. Like we are very grateful. And, um, you know, check us out on Instagram, check us out on TikTok. You know, if you want to share the podcast with a friend, we do know that it's a very, very heavy episode. And, um, yeah, we look forward to hopefully having something more upbeat to talk to you about next time. (laughs) All right, Phoebe, lift up your energy, please. (laughs) Actually, that said, you know, if you do want to find us on social media um, and if you've got suggestions or topics that you would like us to talk about, um, please do let us know because we're also, you know, we, we can often be quite pop culturally reactive but if there's a particular topic that you're interested in hearing us chat about, um, please let us know and we would massively appreciate the opportunity to do so. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.